Hey, this is Ryan Chapman with the Fixer Funnel interview series. And today I've got a special guest. We've got Lisa Schulteis, I got the name right, and with Electroline Marketing. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And yes, you did get the name right, so congratulations. <laughs> well, we were talking before we started recording about how difficult sometimes names can be. I've got a real plain vanilla name, so it makes it easy. I had an earlier guest, and his, his name was all over the place. It was half German and half some other... I can't remember what the other country was, so nobody ever got it right. <laughs> but where I like to start is asking you, how did you get into this field of marketing automation? And you know, I know you have kind of a specialty area that you, you focus on and help people with, but how did you get into this? Yeah, you know, it was almost by accident, which by the way, is never a good way to start a business. But um, my background is actually in neuropsychology. Um, wow. so I used to be in the medical side of the, of the world. And when my kids were born, I made the decision to quit. I wanted to be a stay at home mom. And for anybody that knows me, me sitting still and stable and quiet is not something that happens real well. So <laughs> after all three kids were born, I, I just needed something for me. And so I started this company over 10 years ago under a different brand name at the time and really just started building it and started working with clients, a lot of them in, in the speaker and influencer and coaching space okay. uh, where we were managing them, you know, I was managing their marketing for them. As you know, marketing automation is such a huge piece of marketing. You know, it, it enables yeah. us to still have that one-on-one -on -one engagement, but still automated a bit and really built the company that way because of my, my niche that I was working with, we were doing a lot of events, um, small ones from webinars to you know actual conferences. And so started really focusing on the event side of the industry and not event management, because God bless the people that deal with hotels oh, and, yeah. and all of those, uh, but really the event marketing side. So I work with people on both live in person as well as virtual events um, in terms of their event marketing and planning them and running them as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's neat. I don't know if you know this, but when, when I started first into marketing, it was, I had a company that I'd kind of raised capital with from friends and family. Turns out that was probably like 10 years too early, the idea was. So it failed miserably. But I found out through that experience that where I was really lacking was in marketing. So through a series of fortunate events, I ran into somebody who started mentoring me and teaching me about marketing. And my brother Trent and I started a company right after that, which was events. It was a training company, but we were doing two, three events a week. So I really have a, a, a feel for the value of the work that you do. That's, that's a, uh, it can be quite, quite overwhelming at times. Yeah, two to three events a week is a lot. <laughs> yeah. We ended up doing 440 over the course of that business. It was, you know, it was a short window of opportunity for the solution that we were teaching about. Mm -hmm. But it, so we had to kind of do it that way. We couldn't, we didn't have the liberty spreading it out because time was of the essence. There were a lot of people being affected. But yeah, events are a big, they're a lot of work. And it really stretched us. And I'm, I'm excited that you have done that. But now is a very interesting time because in the event world, we just had a sudden shock to the system. Absolutely. I don't, I don't even know what we would have done back then. I mean, it was a different time. We had different tools available to us. But today, going from 
live and in-person events, which can be a huge moneymaker. In fact, that, that was our entire business model at the time, shifting on a dime, which is essentially what you're doing here, has got to be incredible. How's that process gone for you? It's been um, interesting. You know, we have one client that we thankfully had done a virtual event for them. It was a internal sales and marketing meeting approximately six months ago. Mm -hmm. uh, five day events, 1300 attendees, 600 sessions wow. in five days. Um, and we had done everything virtually. So for them, they were coming up on their next meeting and we were actually able to convert their live in-person event to a virtual event in a week and a half which is insane yeah, it is. And, and little sleep but we were able to do it because we had the systems in place and we, because we had the plan in place so when was that event scheduled for if you don't mind me asking yeah that was scheduled for to start march 16th oh wow so they made the decision to switch it right when this was coming up of should we, shouldn't we, which way is this, you know, whole coronavirus thing going to go. Yeah. Um, so they made a proactive decision and we were able to flip things in about a week and a half. What yeah, a lot a, of the That's events, a huge deal. Yeah, it's huge. You know, and we scaled it back a little bit, but still are providing that same, you know, level of, of, you know, content and, you know, for them, it's, since it's an internal, you know, it's all about the product launches that are happening in six to 12 months down the road. Their internal employees have to know what that is. So you um, must have been a part of that discussion in some way. Yeah, I got the phone call on a Saturday that says, oh, by the way, we need to, to switch this and, you know, can we start Monday? So, you know, which is typical in the events industry anyway, that things happen last minute. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for them, it was it was easier just because we had everything set from six months ago. Other, you know, other companies that are sitting here now, even people that are having events in May and in June, you know, they're having to make those decisions. And there's a lot of factors in that you can reschedule an event, but everybody's rescheduling to Q4 right now which then it's going to become a game of the big boys get to, get to reschedule and the, the smaller kids get nothing, right? Because there's yeah. only so many dates and venues that well, you Well, and fourth quarter is always a, a bear anyways because of the holidays. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so now really they're, they're the having... On things. Yeah, so now they're having to really pivot and decide, do we cancel, which that's a horrible thought, right? Because you have all that money you know, income from attendee sales, sponsor and exhibitors. Yeah, that could uh, kill a business right there. Yeah. To, you know, do we cancel to, do we reschedule or do we convert it to a virtual one and still provide that experience for people? But that's the key word is they really have to make it very experiential and yeah. very engaging for people. So it's, it's an interesting dilemma and it's a huge way that we're seeing the events industry pivot right now. And some are doing it really, really well. And some of them are just flailing because they just don't know where, where to start. And that's, that is very fascinating because it, that those, those sound like almost like trivial decisions, like, oh, should we do this? Should we extend? You know, what should we do? But those have huge ramifications on the bottom line of any business that has events as part of it. Absolutely. E even if your events aren't sales events, right? If they're team events or partnership events where you're trying to build your community, that, that can be a make or break decision. So that's a, a big deal to pivot. What are some of the considerations that 
people took as they were looking through those decisions. Because obviously you had this one example of the company that they made that decision on the dime and just let you know and you could address it for them. But I imagine you've been in some of those discussions with other clients that are trying to decide what do we do. Right. You know, it's really looking at, you know, it's, it, it comes down to numbers, right? So we, we have to look at how much income was coming in from that event initially, right? So mm-hmm. again, through sponsor sales, exhibitors, attendees, all of those things, as well as how much was going out the door in terms of your venue costs and your catering costs and your hotel costs and travel yeah, costs. Which all is of those not things, insignificant. Which is huge, right? And some, you know, everybody's trying to survive right now. So some of the the industry, some of the hotels, some of the venues, some of the caterers are, you know, being incredibly considerate and saying, okay, great, you know, if you reschedule, we're not going to give you any additional fees, right? Or if you cancel, we're not going to give you any, you know, cancellation fees that are built into the contract because we understand this is kind of a unique event. Some companies are not doing that. And it's not that it's right or wrong. It's just, it's, it's how they're doing business because everybody's trying to survive. So the first consideration is to say, okay, if we just flat out cancel, how much money is out the door? We're usually talking a few million, right? When you're talking some of these really large scale events. Yeah. And even with smaller events, you know, I'll hold, you know, one, two day workshops and I know how much money I invest in just a one or two day workshop. It's still a consideration. So if we can take it to a virtual platform where we can still interact with our attendees we can still engage with our attendees most importantly if you have sponsors and exhibitors to make sure that your sponsors and exhibitors are still having their quote unquote you know booth right to have a a virtual room where they're able to engage with people and meet with people and still build their business if you can do all of those things then it may be a very good choice for you to go virtual because people are craving engagement right now. I don't know about you. I get super excited. I had a dental appointment. I was so excited <laughs> I got to go, right? Like who, who does that? But it was because I got to go drive in my vehicle a half hour away and be outside and then come back, right? So yeah. people are really craving that engagement and that, you know, give me a little life as normal. So if we can take your event and move that to a virtual platform, but still have that engagement and have that excitement about your brand, it's really going to help to continue, you know, catapulting your brand and really continue to, to have those relationships with your attendees. But event people, you know, people that live and die by events aren't the only people who've had to do some major pivots. Correct. You're working with some other industries that are also facing some of those pivots. What are some examples and how are they making the change? Yeah, everybody has been affected by this. You know, you look at the restaurant industry, for example, you know, they essentially were shut down with the exception of maybe being able to do deliveries or takeout. And so from a restaurant standpoint, some of them have done a really good job. There are restaurants that have never done delivery in their life. And now they're doing delivery, right? It was a quick pivot so that they could keep their employees employed and still get the food to the people that are really missing their food. Another way that restaurants are pivoting, you know, that was kind of the initial reaction and everybody did that. So restaurants now need a way to stand out beyond that because I can get delivery from just about anywhere now. So now they need to pivot again to stand out 
amongst their competition. So some of the things that we're starting to see are, I know one restaurant that they're starting to do a date night where you can actually go on their website, choose your date night on their calendar. So if I want to have a date night with my husband a, a week from now on a Saturday, I can reserve that date, tell them I want my food delivered at 7 p.m. And this is what I want to be on the, have on the menu. And then they actually can put that together for a week from now to deliver that experience into my home. And some of the restaurants are giving you a choice to say, do you want your food 100% cooked and ready to go when we deliver it? Or do you want kind of what I call the blue apron effect, right? Or any of the home delivery companies where we deliver it to you and maybe we have everything put together and all you have to do is put it in the oven and maybe sprinkle some salt or some herbs on top of it and pour some juice on it when it comes out of the oven, but you're, you know, you're cooking together, right? So they're, they're providing that experience for you where you're getting to participate a little bit in the, the effort of delivering your favorite meal. So you, they're giving you a choice and it's really all about that experience. So there, obviously there's some people who have made great pivots and you know, now are providing new experiences, new approaches to meet the market demands given all the constraints that have been added. But there's others that have not at all. What do you think is the difference between those that have just like thrown up their hands and those that have made the pivot or made the change? Yeah, what I tell everybody is if you pivot, you'll profit. If you stay stagnant or fearful, you're going to fail. And it really does come down to that. You know, we all need to find ways to keep our business moving. And even in regular times, right, we need to find ways to keep our business moving. So if we can make a pivot that achieves one of two goals, we're going to profit. And those two goals, and you and I talked about a little bit about these earlier, are, you know, the first one is we want to make a profit, right? We want to be able to make a pivot where we're going to have incoming in the door. The other reason to make a pivot is because it's the right thing to do. So if you have all of that, yeah, so you have all these companies that have pivoted in the last 30 days and are now making personal protection equipment, right? So for example, Mm -hmm. Fanatics, you know, they normally manufacture uniforms for Major League Baseball, but now they're taking that same material and they're making protective gowns and masks for medical professionals who are fighting, fighting the pandemic. Same thing with layered plastics. They're manufacturing face shields for first responders. Dyson came up with a new ventilator that was specifically created to address COVID-19 patient needs, right? So they're, they're pivoting. They're still making a profit. And some of these companies are actually donating their, their goods as well. So in one way, they've pivoted to make a profit. But in another way, they've pivoted because it's the right thing to do. They're helping society. And, you know, people listening might be thinking, yeah, but I'm not making personal protection equipment. So how can I pivot to do the good part? That goes back to pivot, you know, people want that engagement and they want to interact with brands right now. So even just pivoting to give them that interaction or give them that engagement, you're doing good. People are going yeah. to remember that because well, they and for example, created. with you, you're doing work with people that put on events, 
by helping them transition from a live event that they can't do it to a virtual event, that's doing good in, in the area of your expertise, right? Absolutely. I love the events industry and I am going to do everything I can to make sure it doesn't fail. I cannot imagine a world without live events, whether we're talking sporting events or conferences or sales and marketing meetings that, you know, none of us probably looked forward to in the past, but now we really appreciate, right? Because we get to yeah. partner with people. So it's that same thing. It's I, all I want to do is help people to keep moving and to keep growing and to keep, you know, their businesses alive. Sure. You know, what's interesting is a fixture funnel in March, what we saw, we did see a larger than normal drop-off in, in business. And it was just mostly, I think, accounts that really weren't utilizing this the service. And they weren't really fully engaged in business. And so they just kind of shut down the doors, which was unfortunate. And it wasn't like huge, but it was a little bit larger than normal. It's usually what we see in April around tax time, <laughs> when people start counting all their pennies. And then they're making uh, decisions and cutting out things that they shouldn't, but they do, right? And then uh, this month, we've actually seen a surge. So all those companies that are recognizing and they've pivoted, and they say, okay, we got to get more serious about how we communicate with people. Because what we've done in the past just isn't going to work because everybody's doing it now. Have you seen any difference in the way that you know, your clients are trying to communicate with their, their customers and their prospects? Absolutely. It's really, I think everybody's kind of gotten up over the shock at this point, right? Yeah. When, when this offer started, lots of judgment about, you know, maybe businesses that were, were closing or, or events that were being canceled or things like that, because people were making that judgment. I think that shock, and I think the companies that are pivoting are starting to really see the uptick. Yeah. Again, um, and again, it's it's because people are looking for back to normal, and we may not get that for a while, right? We don't know where this roller coaster ride is going to end. Unfortunately, we don't. Um, we, right, it could be cyclical. It could be a start and stop. We have no idea. But the companies, I you know, I tell people all the time, I I have been busier in the last thirty days than I probably have been in six months because. Not because I necessarily have more business, but it's it's because I know that I need to hustle a little bit harder. And so I think that the companies that are pivoting are starting to have that mentality where, okay, we've gotten over this. We know that this is going to be what our normal life is. Even if it's for a short time, this is normal now. So now we have to find a way to work in this new normal. And that new normal right now is a online only world. Yeah. So let's make it happen. And that's where I'm seeing the adjustment. And for people that might have a membership program, you know, similar to Fix Your Funnel, where you're looking at monthly recurring income from people, one of the things that I'm seeing working really well is if somebody, you know, contacts you and says, hey, I want to cancel my, my subscription. It's just not needed right now. Yeah. One of the things that's working really well is to come back and say, you know what, I, I understand that times are, are unsure. I want to make sure that, you know, we meet your needs, but you're also a valued customer. So why don't we go ahead and just give you the next two months for free or whatever the timeline is, give you the next two months for free. And then, you know, we'll put you back on your normal schedule. And what that does is it's allowing these, you know, recurring revenue 
plans and these companies to maybe have two months that their income goes down, but 60 days from now, they get, you know, that person gets auto charged again and they haven't lost that income because they're continuing to be able to charge it moving forward. So sometimes just giving them a break for a month or two is enough to keep them within that recurring monthly subscription. On that side, uh, you have to be really careful though, because that can totally backfire. I know we had a a partner that was working in a particular industry that was, you know, kind of impacted. It's probably more mental on how they were impacted than it is, you know, certain, but they proactively started just cutting their revenue in half and ended up losing a substantial number of clients in the process. Mm-hmm. And I think that they think they're going to be able to raise those rates back up when things you know, go back to normal, but I think it's going to be a real struggle, you know? Well, and you have to be careful of how you do it. So I wouldn't Absolutely. necessarily do it in that manner. You know, I wouldn't necessarily cut everybody's rates in half or something like that. Yeah. Um, this is more of a, you know, if, if I contact you and say, Hey, Brian, I Reach want to cancel. Yes. It's a way to react. Yeah, you want to work with people instead of being heartless, right? Right. Yeah. So it's a way to respond to the customer service issue without losing client, but I wouldn't do things across the board because financially. I didn't didn't get the impression you were suggesting that, but I know some people could hear that and then misunderstand. You don't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah, this would be a one off case scenario where you're saving a customer who might be ready to camp versus just saying, oh, well, instead of, you know, $100 a month, we're only going to charge you $250 yeah. um, or something like that. You know, you just want to, it's, it's a one, you know, one off case consideration. Totally, totally. But yeah, so this has been really interesting because I think that as people learn to pivot, they can have a huge impact on their business and their bottom line. What are some of the recommendations you're making in terms of virtual events to make them engaging so people want to actually attend? Because I know that's always been a challenge with online events is life is going around around that person. They're not isolated out of their normal environment, you know, which are all kind of, those are challenges of live events, but they're also benefits, right? Correct. Because when you get someone in a different city or in a different place than they normally are, sometimes you get them to focus in a different way, really be in the moment, learn new things, meet new people and create a real neat experience for them. But virtually there are a lot of elements that you don't have control over that are in play. How, how are you making that transition and helping folks that are doing live events to go virtual and not lose the overall experience? So that's going to depend on the type of event that you're doing. And, uh-huh. you know, some events are a lot easier than others. So here's a What's an example of, of an easier event to convert. Yeah. So here's a couple of examples. So let's talk about, you know, I mentioned, you know, I, I might have a one day workshop that's live. Um, so if I convert that to a virtual event, obviously I can, I can utilize something as, as easy as Zoom. Um, have my whiteboard, but you know, with the camera, all of those things where I'm able to still talk to them, still draw, still have them, you know, interact with me. But if I'm doing a webinar also on Zoom, I want to make sure I'm adding things in that are engaging, adding in polls, adding, asking people to simply raise their hand and test out the little raise your hand feature at the beginning to kind of train them to, to do so in the middle. Yeah, that's really uh, interesting. 
Yeah, I did a, a, a webinar the other day with uh, Keep slash Infusionsoft. And one of the things that we did at the beginning is we asked a question at, as people were signing in and said, hey, here's the question that we have for you. Put your answer in chat. And the question I think at the time was, what is the, one of the biggest challenges that you have right now in engaging with your customers? And so before the webinar had even started, we had a lot of people that had given us answers of what kind of challenges that they were facing so that we could go ahead and, and incorporate those into the webinar. Yeah. So there's, you know, on the smaller end scale events, there's a lot of things that you can do to just get them to talk to you and engage with you, asking questions, doing those polls, raising the hands, all of those things. Yeah. So smaller events are a little bit easier. On the bigger events, you still have to do some really big things, right? Big conferences, we do big things to get people's attention. Yeah, right? you're talking about million dollar budgets. That's a big conference. Yeah. It's the reason we have parties at the end of the day. It's the reason we do networking. It's you know all of those reasons. So we're still transferring those things over to the virtual world, obviously in a little bit of a different format. Mm. But so for example, Every virtual event that I'm doing right now, we have a, a summit coming up. Every virtual event that we're doing, I am telling the organizers that one, if you're doing something like a summit or a conference where most of the content is pre-recorded, I still expect to see some live elements in there in between the sessions. So I want your face on there. I want you to say, hey, you know, Ryan just had this. I hope you heard these three points from him. Our next speaker is John. John's gonna be talking about this. And then when we come back, this is what we're going to be doing. Even just that small live interaction has a huge effect on people. Yeah. The other thing that we're doing is we're still doing networking. We're still doing entertainment. So we're doing virtual happy hours on Zoom. I've had more virtual happy hours in the last 30 days than I probably have had happy hours. Interesting. How, how does that work? Because I know. Um, it, like, but it's fun, right? Everybody shows up on Zoom. You all bring your own cocktail or whatever it is that you want to drink. Um, and you have some interaction back and forth and you meet new people and networking and things like that. You can do breakout rooms on Zoom as well, which those can be kind of fun as well. And is that what you end up doing? Because uh, like it, we for Easter, we had um, my extended family. I'm the oldest of 13. So there's a bunch of us get on a Zoom thing. And it was just crazy. Yes. Yeah, so, so how, you can assign people to a Zoom breakout room okay. and you know, put 10 people in a, a breakout room and, and give them a topic table, right? Same thing as a live event at a lunch, right? You have topic tables at a lunch. You can do breakout sessions in Zoom to have topic tables over lunch where everybody Very just cool. brings their from their kitchen into the office and gets on Zoom and you're having these topic tables. So that can happen as well. And then bigger things too, fun events, right? I have a, a friend who's a DJ and she's doing virtual dance parties. She has one tonight. She's doing an 80s themed dance party that's virtual. And you can bring that in as part of your event so that people are still getting that interaction and that excitement and that fun, right? And put a theme with it and all of those things. So we're bringing all of those pieces and we're just pivoting and changing them a bit to, to bring them over to the virtual side and making sure we still have our themes going and all of those things that people get excited about yeah. uh, to, to really make the event as 
as good as we can. And some of these events, they're actually mailing the swag out to the attendees as well. Oh, interesting. So that they have that, that piece of the pie, right, that they normally would get. So there's a lot of different things that you can do. It's just, it's going to depend on the size of your event. It's going to really depend on your brand and how you interact with people anyway, and the impression that you want to leave with people. Very cool. So you mentioned a couple of things, you know, you really want to keep uh, it an experience. You, you got to deliver on the value. What are some of those other things that you really take into consideration? Uh, kind of like a mental checklist that you have, like, we got to hit these items in order to make sure this event doesn't fall flat virtually. Right. So the non-sexy things that fall into that obviously are, you know, what the financial situation is and what it's going yeah. to cost to run the event virtually versus, you know, what they've already had out the pocket and what we can save from what they have out of the pocket already. So financial is, is absolutely a huge consideration of it. I will tell you that, you know, moving an event virtually, if it's a bigger event, you know, like this one even that we had the 1300 attendees for. Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of moving pieces in that and people need to realize that that costs money. It's not a free video conferencing. Just because it's virtual doesn't mean it's less expensive Correct. necessarily. Huh? The financial considerations are huge and we still go through the same line item breakouts that you would with a live event with a virtual event. We still have to figure out what our AV costs are. We still have to figure out, we have to add in things like, you know, bandwidth which is always a fun thing. You know, if, if the company is hosting their own video platform, you know, what is the bandwidth of that? If 5,000 people log on, are, are we going to crash their system, right? So there's a lot of those still AV technical type issues and even more so that come into the virtual event. But finances are, are something that we line item through with people. And then really the technology, we really look at the goal of the event and what the, the organizers are trying to get out of the event and the experience that they're trying to give their attendees. And yeah. then we have to match that up with the right technical solution. So sometimes it's an easy, that's great. We can do it as a video conference. Sometimes we move it into a pre-existing event virtual event software okay. and um, some this one that we did in September we took an existing online e-learning platform and then customized the heck out of it to meet their needs so it's it's really evaluating what are the goals and then once we have those goals how do we support that technically to make sure that it's the experience that the event organizer wants? Yeah, I, I imagine that's something that folks would overlook if they didn't have someone like you. Who's been it's a lot of work. <laughs> There's a lot of different software solutions out there. And some of them do a lot of things really, really well. And some of them, a lot of things kind of okay. Yeah. And so it's, it's taken us months and months and months of evaluating systems and doing demo accounts and things like that to make sure that we have software solutions that we can give to people that only are within their budget, but will really yeah. present the experience. You know, you don't really, unless you've had experience with some of these things, you don't know, you could go test a, a particular software you know, get 50 people on there, or 20 people from the organization. You're like, oh yeah, this works great. You throw 5,000 at it and just crumbles, right? Right. So you really and have to had, know that. 
We've had some experiences too, and, and this is going to be with any software industry where yeah. you have the conversation with the salesperson and you're told what the software does. Yeah. And then you get into it and you realize what the software really does, right? Yeah. Or doesn't do. And so we've had some challenges in the past with that that we had to work through. So really identifying you know, what software is going to work for you and knowing all those nuances to make sure that you're, you know, not trying to run a 3000 person event on a simple video conferencing. If you want to have all of these different breakout sessions and, and experiences and all of those things, you know, you need to know what decisions to make. So we work with them through all of those. That's interesting because like, for example, with our one click upsell product, it's our old, one of our oldest products, but it's been so battle tested for high volume situations and sometimes we'll get people that'll come through and they're like, Oh, you know, I'm going to go with somebody else on this. And then it crashes when they have the huge volume that goes through because it's not optimized for the limitations that Infusionsoft has. And so it's interesting to watch some of these things play out. That's where it really helps to have, you know, an expert in your corner like you, who has been through these different situations. You've seen the meltdowns, you know which things to watch out for, which things to move towards in order to be able to accommodate the needs of the event. And I think that becomes one of those priceless things that, because the thing about events is they're fixed in time. You don't get a do-over if you mess up on it. You know, people can judge an organization based on how that event ends up going. So cutting costs or corners or, not paying attention to details when you're moving an event virtually can have a significant ramification on the, on the company's reputation going forward. And it always comes back to planning like anything in business, right? It doesn't matter what industry you're in. You have to plan it. You have to have your end goal in mind and work backwards. And that end goal has to be super specific. So that's something that you do for these organizations so that you really make sure that they do all that proper planning and preparation and know what their goal is and that kind of thing. Yes. You have to focus on the entire marketing strategy on the front end. We have to know if you call me and say, Hey, Lisa, I want to do this virtual event. The first question that's going to come out of my mouth is why? Yeah. And it's not a why to say, no, you don't want to do it. It's a why do you want to do it? What is your goal? What yeah, is your purpose? And you have to tell me the specifics. Like if it's to sell, you know, I want to do this event because I want to sell a thousand tickets at this cost to reap this kind of a net return. That's a goal versus, oh, I want to do an event to get exposure. That's not a goal. That's just kind of a wish. Right. So we really have to work through that piece first and then work backwards to say, great, what's the right type of event? Because there's different types of events to do. Yeah. And then once we know what type of event we're going to do, then what's the right system to put behind it? So oh, it's so it's good. It's, it's great that there's people like you that have that understanding because that, that's so valuable. It, going And I, I'm throwing us back to the one click upsell thing just because I, I see some interesting correlations. I would have people that would pay me $1,500 for an hour to walk through, you know, kind of just the, this kind of planning thing. And P, some people go well, 1500 bucks for an hour. That seems a little outrageous, Ryan, but if we got their upsells all organized, right, which, you know, like you in your event space in upsells, I know all the questions to ask someone. 
And so if I get those right questions asked and I help them get their, their upsells structured right, they'll make that $1,500 back in a week. And then every week after that, you know, much more, you know what I mean? And so that's where someone like you that has that expertise in that, that particular area of events, you can make or break an event by who you have running it. And I think that's correct in any you know, stage business. So for example, I can run my own Facebook ads. I am yeah. physically capable of doing it. I know how to do it. I know how to set up a pixel. But I pay people to run my Facebook ads because they can do it a thousand times better and usually a thousand times faster because I have to go remember how to do it every time. Yeah. And so it just makes more sense for me to outsource that out to somebody who does that every day in their sleep, right? And, you know, same thing with accounting, right? I hate accounting. I don't understand how anybody can be an accountant, but God bless them that they are because yeah. that's not my sweet spot and that's not my gift. And I think in business, we need to make that smart decision to bring those people around us who can support us in these different areas of our business. Oh, I have to agree 100%. I, recently, we were doing an internal evaluation of, you know, what are some of the undesirable things that we see in the business, you know, for the experience of our customers, you know, whatever. And one of the things that kind of came up is that, you know, many Infusionsoft users are not trained marketers. You know, they're small business owners. They want to use and leverage the power of automation. And so they get the software, but they really don't understand marketing and sales beyond whatever they kind of hobble together in the business. And now they're trying to apply an automation engine to that. And that's kind of a recipe for disaster. So how do we overcome that challenge for people? And really what it comes down to is that investment in getting somebody that understands marketing to help you structure out, lay out things will pay out itself in droves versus just hobbling together something that hasn't really been thought through or considered. And the same thing with the events, you know, someone just saying, Hey, well, you, you're on the team, you know, you're on the staff, you're in charge of the event without having that expertise and information can make something go from terrible to great by getting the right person in there to help you and help you navigate the waters. So do you take on different roles? I mean, obviously you are being handed whole projects, like here's the event, make it happen. Right. But do, you, do you do different levels of help for different people and different types of businesses? Yes. So some people just have me come in for the planning stage. So okay. that marketing strategy Huge. and then what type of event and what type of software um, do we need to do? And if they've got the team then to take that and run with it, then that's great. Do so you serve Other, more of an architect correct. in that situation? Correct. Other people will actually say, okay, great. Once we get to that piece now, can you please just go make this happen, right? Wave the magic wand, build it, make sure everything is up. The architect and the general at that point. So then we have architect and general contractor. And then beyond that, then in a normal world, when we are able to travel wherever we want to do, there are clients that actually bring me in-house for the live event week. So for example, this one, this last September, this five-day event, I actually was in-house. So when we have 20 sessions kicking off all at the same time, you know, on a Monday morning at 10 a.m., yeah. I'm sitting there making sure that all 20 sessions are actually kicking off at the same time and That's making sure that job. they're working. 
So it, it definitely, I get brought in as a, almost a production manager role to make sure that yeah. during that three day or five day event that we don't have the technical issues. You know, virtual events can be very hybrid events where you have a little bit, you know, mostly virtual, but you still have some live elements like chat rooms and things like that. Yeah. So anytime you're bringing that live element in, we have to make sure that you know, we have AV people in the correct room while you're having chat sessions or if you're showing product that the cameras are working and things like that. So there's wow. all of those different moving parts. So I, I will do anything from just the front end to all the way through um, the end of the I have so much admiration for the work you do because I know that we did mostly like three hour events when we were doing these. They're just in different cities all over the, the nation. And so that we were doing a lot of those, but occasionally we did some some bigger events where we'd have anywhere from three hundred to a thousand people. Not huge, right? But they were like two day events. And when we would run those, I just I know how much the team between the A V people and you know, we we never got a real expert. So they were a little bit frazzled because they're trying to keep everything on schedule and everything. But I, you know, because of that whenever I go to a big event, I'm always observing who's running the show. And it is just a sight to behold. I mean, for the, the average attendee, they wouldn't even notice, right? Just things are just working the way that they would expect. For the person who is like, it's their event, it's such a relief to not carry any of that weight of orchestrating the whole thing and just focusing on delivering the message that they need to deliver. And so you're really a lifesaver. So I just want to say thank you because you, you just, I, I know it's a lot of it's behind the scenes, but you make a huge difference in how many of these events that we participate and benefit from go off without a hitch. Yeah, I, I love them. I always tell people you have to be a little bit of crazy to do events, <laughs> but a good kind of crazy, right? They're very high energy. Yes, you, yeah. I, I normally, if I'm at a live event, I normally will tell my, my family when I come home, like, don't talk to me for two days because I just can't talk to anybody. <laughs> but, you know, you have to kind of re rejuvenate and, and refresh. But, you know, I think events, whether we're talking a webinar or we're talking a, you know, 10,000 person conference, you know, events are such a really good way to oh, yeah. increase your brand exposure, increase your lead gen and your email list size. And then most importantly, just an amazing way to talk to your people in person. You know, even if it's virtual, you're still, you're, you're just interacting with them in a different way than you normally do on a day-to-day -day business. Yeah. And I think it's why we all love going to conferences. There's lots of conferences I've never walked into a breakout session the entire time I'm there. You're just in the hallway. I'm interacting with people and I'm engaging yeah. with people and, and people love that and, and that experience that your brand is giving them, whether it's live or virtual, whether you're a restaurant or a personal trainer or a, you know karate studio or whatever, that experience that you're giving people, when you can pivot that from live to virtual, you're just going to keep building your brand and building those relationships. Well, thank you so much. I, I think that's a perfect note to end on. How do folks get a hold of you at Electro Lime Marketing? 
So they can reach me either on my website at electrolime.com and we'll have that link in the show notes. Yep. In addition, they are welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn a lot, so we'll put that link in there as well. But my last name is difficult to spell. My first name's easy. That's Lisa, L-I-S-A. My last name is Schulteis, which is S-C-H-U-L-T-E-I-S. If you put that in LinkedIn or Google me, I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah, you'd be about the only one, huh? There's a few, but I'm pretty <laughs> easy to find. Well, thanks so much. Really appreciate you joining us today. I appreciate it. I appreciate being on the show.